for everyone else who's stuck with me, please uh, turn to Matthew 18, verses, tw- uh, sorry, verses 15 through 20, as we begin uh, the second part of this little mini-series throughout uh, Matthew. I warned you last week. I don't know if some of you took me serious or not, but I warned you last week that it was going to be difficult. And we're not done yet. It's going to continue to be difficult. These, these messages are extremely hard. But this is, this is the time where we begin as Christians to really look at our lives and, and we begin to challenge who we are and, and ask God to shape us to be more like Him, which is the ultimate end goal of this Christian walk, is to be like Christ. And so we have to start somewhere, and eventually it's going to start chipping away more and more of who we are, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But it's okay. That, that feeling of uneasiness is a sign of growth. And so I encourage you that this is going to be okay. And, and even more so, I hope that as you listen, both last week and this week, and into next week, that you can begin to see how these messages all come together to form one solid story, one, one thought of how God is working in our relationships, and that you can begin to appreciate it, because it, it, it gives a, a bigger picture when you can pull back and see, and, and if you don't quite see it yet, trust me, by the end of next Sunday I will paint that picture for us all so that we can see it together, so we can appreciate just the beauty of God's Word and how it shapes our lives. So if you are able, I do ask that you please stand for the reading of God's Word today in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. It says, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whether you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For, there, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there among, I am there among them. This is the word of the Lord, and together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, as we enter into this word today, we pray for for refreshed hearts that we might hear your speaking into our lives, that we might allow you to challenge us where we need to be challenged so that we as a body may continue to grow to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Conflict. Everyone's blood pressure just shot up 12 points. <laughs> Conflict. It is, it is not something that we like, but it's this rather broad idea, this, this, this thing that we have all dealt with at some point within our lives. It's something that we've all faced. We've all had to stare it down and, and, and 
deal with it. But the problem is, is that we don't usually handle conflict well, especially society. I don't know if you've noticed. I mean, if not, check out Facebook or watch the news. You will see that people do not handle conflict very well. And really, that's nothing new for us, right? People have struggled with conflict for years. In general, we just don't like to face it because it's it pokes at us a bit. Now, TV shows, they like conflict. The, the TV shows that are, are labeled reality TV, I hope you all know that none of reality is ever reality, but the, the reality TV shows, they, they love conflict because anytime there's conflict there, they can take little snapshots of it and edit it and cut it and, and make it so that then they can show commercials and then they have a whole bunch of people who want to watch it because they showed this one scene where, oh no, there's drama that's going to happen and we need to check it out. The one that I often think about, and apparently my wife says it dates me, uh, is Jerry Springer. Yeah, okay, the, the, okay. Uh, I don't know who ever watched that for anything other than to watch people throw chairs and yell. Like, there, there was no point to that show other than if you wanted to watch conflict. Because, quite frankly, people, when they're not in it, but they get to observe it, it's, it's like watching a fire. They love to see it. Now, on the other hand, you have more of the scripted TV shows where they will use conflict for character development. One of the things that I think of most often is you, you have a character who goes out to a restaurant, they order some food, and the waiter gives it to them, but it's the wrong food. And, and then so another character with them will say, hey, this is a perfect time. Call the waiter over. Tell him you got the wrong food. And they're like, I don't know if I want to. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just eat it. No, you can't. You're, you're allergic to it. Well, I'll just eat it. I don't want to deal with conflict. And so eventually they have to overcome that. We use conflict for humor because naturally we don't know what else to do with it. But that's not how we should handle it. The truth is, we, we just don't know what to do with it. But there's good news. It's the fact that Jesus teaches us how to deal with conflict. It's the fact that, that God gives us a prescription of how to deal with it. So even when we would rather not face it, now we have an idea of what we can do. You see, if we hide from it, it never really solves the problem. I don't know if you realize that. It's kind of like uh, if you're in the process of buying a house and you find out the foundation's bad. If you ignore that problem, that's going to not just magically heal itself. You have to do something to, to intervene to stop that from becoming worse. And in the same way, us as Christians, we need to learn how to deal with conflict in a way that is healthy, that, that actually can resolve it. We must learn to deal with it the way God designed us to deal with it, the way his kingdom is set up to handle conflict. You see, if there's one group of people in the entire world who should be able to deal with problems, it should be the church. The church should be the sole place where conflict can be dealt with properly, where, where people are not neglected or isolated or beaten down, but where, where people are actually built up through the resolution of it. So we must learn to not be conflict avoidant. Rather, we must, through God's grace and teachings, learn to be conflict resolvent within our lives. 
Because as a church, we are a shining beacon. And, and if we profess all these great things about how God has changed our lives and about how the kingdom of God is so much more superior to any earthly kingdom, but we can't handle conflict ourselves, well, then what is our true testimony to the world? What better things do they have to gain? And so this is what we need to do today. And so my prayer is that we might learn how to lift our brothers and sisters up in times of trouble, in times of conflict, so that we can be that shining light to our community. Now, the actual process that Jesus gives us here is rather straightforward, so we aren't going to spend much time on it. I would rather have us look at the why than the how. But just as a brief summary, again, this, this is what Jesus says. He, someone sins in the church, you go to them, you, you confront them out of love. You, you, you say, hey, you, you sin, and that's not okay. And, and if they don't want to listen to you, then you take one or two with you, and you go to them yet again to hopefully resolve this. And if not, then, then you bring the issue before the whole church, and you say, here's the problem. And you pray and hope that that is enough to bring resolution. Now, this is the, the general idea. Yet, the first thing that I think we need to address, the, the, the first why that we need to look at, is the relationship between sin and conflict. This will help us understand and, and really help us appreciate this process that Jesus has given us here today in the text. You see, sin brings brokenness back to what God had reconciled with the cross, which conflicts with his design. Everything about the cross was to bring reconciliation, healing, to, to bring everything back to the way it should be, but then sin continues to break that. And so the church is supposed to live out this restored life, right? We, we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are made new, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we are continuously being shaped like him. And so we then are supposed to live out this kingdom life that makes us different, right? I, I'm not going to beat the dead horse from last week, but we're supposed to be different. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we believe, how we act and work and school, and everything's supposed to be different. But when we sin, brokenness comes back into the equation again. Now, I say when we sin because as humans, we have not yet been redeemed to the point where we have been fully changed to be like God. We have not been fully cleansed yet because God's kingdom has not come in its fullness so that we can live this restored life to its fullness. So as humans, we will still sin. That's natural. But we still have to deal with the problem. Because when sin enters into the body of Christ, it creates a huge issue of breaking the unity of the body. And this is not a new concept for us. Jesus is introducing something that no one had ever heard before. When the Israelites were entering into the promised land, the very first city they came to, here in Joshua uh, 7, you can read it. Uh, God gives them very clear instructions what they're supposed to do. The very first city they come to is Jericho. And, and because it's the first city that they come to, it is completely dedicated to destruction for God. And so everything has to be destroyed. All the animals, all the buildings, don't take any of the gold, don't take anything with you. Destroy it all as a tribute to God. And then you have this man called Achan. 
And he sinned, and he disobeyed, and he took some of the gold and some of the silver with him, and he hid it under his tent. But no one knew. And then the Israelites went to the next city, the city of Ai, and it was a small city, and, and they said, well, we don't need to have all the troops go with us. We'll just send some of the troops. And so they send some of the troops, and they get their butts whooped so hard that 36 men die in the battle. And God reveals to them, you lost because there is sin among you. Achan has sinned and not done what I've commanded. And so they go to him and figure it all out, and, and he is punished for it. But think about this concept. Because of one man's sin, 36 men lost their lives. And their conquest into the promised land was waylaid because of that one man's sin. The body of Christ can be just as harmed when we allow sin to fester within the body. We cannot just let it continue to go on because we will be like Achan and we will continue to produce brokenness that keeps us from fulfilling our purpose here in this community, from reaching lives, from, from bringing God's kingdom here in what ways we can. And, and, and so we must deal with it now. Yet... That doesn't mean we start going around and pointing fingers saying, you're a sinner, and you're a, I'm trying to point at people I know I, I can, <laughs> Pastor Jessica, forgive me, you're, you're a sinner. You're, you, you, we don't start just going around and saying, you're a sinner, how terrible are you? We don't, the whole point is not that we go around and start making people feel bad. There is this process. Once again, come back to the process that Christ gave us. There's a process here that we are supposed to follow because we are in relationship to each other. And we're not just in some sort of relationship that is kind of unique. We are in a very heavenly-oriented relationship that is, is beyond family relationships, beyond co-worker relationships, beyond friendships. It is a relationship that does things that no one can fully comprehend because it unites us closer than brothers to the point where we can forsake family for the body of Christ and it glorifies God. So this relationship we have is special and it is unique. Now, there's confusion that comes up through all of this, and I'm going to address it because I'm sure some of you have it going through your head right now. You, you have the verses that say, judge not lest ye be judged, right? You've heard that. Jesus even said that. The problem with those verses is not that they're in the Bible. 100% correct. Judge not, lest ye be judged. That is biblical, and we have it where we need to obey that even today. The problem comes in, in that no one really teaches what the word judge not meant to the people in that time. Because our words, surprisingly, after 2,000 years, don't quite always mean the same thing that words said back then meant. When Jesus said, judge not, lest ye be judged, he is speaking about a, a judgment of condemnation. You have to think about it as an a, a actual judge, a person who wears the robes and the wig and all that and has the gavel, that kind of judge. They are empowered with authority given by someone, governments or whoever, to tell someone, you've broken the law, you go to jail. And, and that's a condemnation. It's not just saying, you've broken the law, you shouldn't have done that. It is now because you have, here is punishment. 
And so when Jesus is saying, judge not lest ye be judged, he's saying, you can't tell someone, you sinned, so now you're going to hell. We don't say that. We don't do that. We can't condemn anyone to hell. That is not our job. That is God alone who is judged. He is the only one who can condemn anyone. But we are called to rebuke our brothers and sisters. And rebuke is very different from judgment. Rebuke, when we follow this process, when we, when we actually submit ourselves to what Christ is saying here, is, is this beautiful thing that brings harmony to the body of Christ. This reconciliation pathway, as I call it, it keeps everyone filled with grace and humility because we are accountable to each other. We bear the weight of each other's lives. And, and so as the church, as the body, we have to see our relationships as interconnected in what we do and what we say, not just here, but outside of here. When we're at the grocery stores, when we're driving our cars, when we're home by ourselves. Now, the Romans passage we read earlier highlights this idea using slightly different words because Paul's taken a little bit nicer approach to it than what Jesus did. But he says in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the, love, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We want to care for our brothers and sisters. We love them. And so when we love them, we refuse to let them fall into the trap of sin. We refuse to let them be uh, blinded by, by those lies that can keep them. And we are compelled to go to them filled with grace and humility on our part, so that they might receive healing. Because the worst thing in the world is not to rebuke a brother or sister, but to let them run the race, assuming that they have done well, and to find out at the end that they've had sin that no one was willing to point out and be rejected by the Lord on that day. That it would be the absolute worst thing. That would be the most unloving thing we could do. It's to turn a blind eye to brothers and sisters who are going down a wrong path and might not even know it. So church, here is where we can have healing or we can have death. And it all depends on how we each decide to work with this process. It all depends on how we choose to approach one another. If we decide to go to people out of arrogance pointing out every single thing that they did wrong, making a whole tally list, and, 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 and then allowing that become a source of pride. Yeah, it's, it's only going to deepen the problem. It's going to make conflict worse, and it's going to bring death to the body. It's going to hinder the church from doing the mission of God. But if we choose to humble ourselves, really humble ourselves, prayerfully going to someone with love and a broken heart over what's going on. 
healing and reconciliation can then take place. Realize that God is the judge. And not only does he judge what we do, he also judges how we treat one another. And we must answer for that on that great day of the Lord. So we should never consider a joy or a privilege to rebuke a brother or sister. We should never consider it that way. And to confront them, it should break our hearts. It should make us weep that we would even have to do such a thing because in the kingdom of God, we are supposed to be, we are supposed to be reconciled to the point where we don't have to deal with sin and brokenness anymore. But we realize that we live in this now and not yet place where there is a mixture of everything going on. And so it should break our hearts. And it should only be done through so much prayer and fasting. So that when we go, we have first examined ourselves. And we do all that because we love our brothers and our sisters. Now, as Jesus concludes this process of reconciliation, of, of conflict, he begins to tie together this idea that that would be good for us to begin to look at. This, this blew me away today. As I studied this out, this, this wrecked me all week long. You can ask my wife. I could not stop talking about it. Reconciliation within the church is a form of worship to God. Reconciliation is a form of worship to God. The whole work of the triune God is to bring about restoration and reconciliation to creation, to fix that brokenness. And so when problems arise within the church, one of the forms of worship is when his creation does what he himself does, which is to bring about reconciliation and healing. And it pleases God when a brother and sister stands in the gap, when they join arm in arm and they say, we want to help you. It's the same as singing praise. It's the same of giving tithes. Even in prayers. It's all a form of worship to God. Because it's taking what God has taught us, applying it within our lives, and returning our actions back to God himself to deal with. And it's us living out the kingdom on earth. So if we can begin to think of this whole process as a form of, of reconciliation, as, as a form of, of worship before God, how would our attitudes change? about it? How would our mindset change? How would our words change when we think about conflict if it's worship before God? Now, I get it. No one likes to be told that they're doing something wrong. Even children learn at a young age. They don't want to get caught doing something bad, and so they try everything to get away from it. But, but just think that when it becomes a form of worship, it no longer becomes about being right or being wrong. It becomes about love and compassion and humility. It is no longer about finding fault, but it, it becomes about healing. 
the only way, church, that we can successfully follow this path of reconciliation that Jesus outlines here for us. To do it in a way that lifts people up, that it builds them up. Build, yeah, builds them up is when we think of it as a form of worship to God, where we humble ourselves just as we would if we sang or gave or prayed and said, Lord, here we are. Have your way. Now, to be honest, I, this, this message has not been easy. I, 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 it has not been easy for me. It has been on my mind for for many weeks as I have prepared for it and I have not been looking forward to it, to be honest, because it's hard. It's painful to talk about conflict because I know that we've all experienced it. We've all experienced good, hopefully, but we've also experienced bad ways that conflict has been dealt with. Church, we're not immune to it. Don't think that because we are the body of Christ that somehow we won't have conflict it's there because when two or more are gathered, you have conflict. But in the same way, when two or more are gathered, Christ is with us. And so everything we do can become a form of worship, including resolving conflict. Now, if this message feels a little incomplete, that's good. That means I did what I was trying to do because it's, it is incomplete. We can't finish talking about this until we talk about one last thing, which will be next week because we need enough time to talk about it. I'm not trying to leave you on a cliffhanger like TV shows. I don't mean to do it, but I honestly, I have no more words to speak because right now we need to just ask the Holy Spirit to change our hearts about conflict to the point where we can see it as a form of worship. And so instead, I ask that you listen to this song, that you read the words that will be up on the screen so that you can begin to say to God, I choose to worship you even in conflict. I choose to worship you through how I resolve conflict. So please listen to these words today. The enemy says I'm done, I'll lift my praises. But my world comes crashing down, I'll lift my praises high. Till the darkness turns to dawn, I'll lift my praises. I choose to worship, I choose you now. Yeah, when the enemy says I'm done, I lift my praises. When my world comes crashing down, I lift my praises high. Till the darkness turns to dawn, I lift my praises. I choose to worship, I choose you now. Let's choose him, church.
circumstances steal it he is still good when life is not that's our proclamation that's our declaration wherever we are let's declare it together that we choose to worship right here and right now when the enemy says I'm done I lift my praises when my world comes crashing down I
will we choose to worship? Will we choose to worship God even through conflict resolution? Will we choose to allow Him to change our lives so that everything, including how we handle struggling issues, be different than the way the world wants to deal with it? Let us pray. Oh God, thank you that because of the power of your kingdom, the greatness of your kingdom, and the shedding of your son's blood, we are able to be different in everything we do, including how we handle conflict. We do not have to be like the world where we struggle and we, we fight with it, we run from it, we turn our heads or, or we bury them in the sands. We, we don't have to. Instead, you've taken such a broken thing in this world and you've turned it around to be a form of worship to you. I pray that as we grow as a body here, that we may grow in our love and our humility and our grace to the point where we can follow this path of reconciliation. as a form of praise to you. As we close this day, I encourage you to lift your hands to receive the blessing of the benediction. Holy God, you call us to righteousness and light. Teach us the undivided law of love that we may love your children even as you do. Love you with all of our will and strength and find freedom in this blessed service taught to us in the word and deed by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I send you now out into your communities to make Christ-like disciples. Go in the grace of God. And please do not forget, next week we are outside, so please dress appropriately. God bless you.